Well, our Pastor Mike is uh, on vacation this week, and uh, he threw the baton at me. And uh, no, actually, he asked if I'd be willing to take it. And I said, uh, okay, and uh, look forward to this morning uh, uh, with you. I want to open the book. Um, <clears throat> I'm, uh, it's going to feel like we're on a, um, a fast-track marathon this morning, uh, but that's just classic Trenner. Uh, so uh, stay with me. What I have given you in your bulletin outline um, is a study that you can do on your own. I put all the references in here. We're not going to read all of these this morning, but uh, I gave it to you so you could study on your own and look together. Uh, just open in your heart and say, God, help me to understand your grace in my life. And this morning I want to address that uh, question. What is it to live in God's grace? And uh, we find that grace is a central theme of the scriptures and of the character of God. And um, I found it interesting that every one of Paul's letters, all 13 letters that he wrote that are in the New Testament, begin and end with grace. Grace and peace unto you. Grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of his letters, that sounds like that's pretty central to his thinking. That was also true of Peter's two letters and also of the writing of John on the revelation that Jesus gave to him of himself. All of these begin and end with God's grace. Something here may be helpful to you. It's been to me over the years in understanding, and that is the difference between mercy and grace. Mercy is not getting what I deserve, as in God's justice. That's his mercy. Grace is getting what I don't deserve, as in his goodness. And if I can understand in the daily walk of my life the mercy of God and the grace of God in my life, what that does and how I perceive myself, the experiences of my day, and how I relate to the people around me. And uh, let's, let's look first of all of God's expression of God's grace to us recorded in Ephesians chapter 1. And um, I read the first uh, two verses of it this morning as uh, an opening to us, but I'm beginning to read in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, and to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished on us. Review this with me quickly. I've got it on an overhead to you here. God's grace is all over these verses. He chose us in Christ in verse 4. He loved us, and it was out of his love that he did what he did in verse 4. He adopted us as sons. He did the choosing. He welcomed us into his family. 
He freely bestowed his grace on us in verse 6. He redeemed us and forgave us. And remember the word redeemed used in the Greek uh, culture and language was to buy somebody out of slavery, is to redeem them. And Jesus redeemed us out of the slavery to sin and has forgiven us. And he's lavished the riches of his grace on us and does that every day. You know, when things don't go well, you were shopping Friday. Why? I have no idea. Except the prices were supposed to be better. But I don't know if it was worth everything. I know you endured if you did that. But trying to find a parking lot. Where in the middle of all this is God's grace? Or standing in line. Where is God's grace in all of this? Where was God's grace in the last doctor visit that you had in which you got news that was not very good? Where was God's grace when you found yourself unemployed? Where was God's grace when I really ticked my wife off and I don't know what I did? You see, you know, all those situations in our life that come our way, where is God's grace in all of that? But the scriptures tell us he's lavished his grace on us. How can I see that? How can I experience that and live in that? What we find here in this passage I just read in Ephesians, in verse 7, that he redeemed us out of sin and he's forgiven us. And I said, of what? Well, there's something that we need to keep understanding as we live our daily life. There's something we lose track of. We caught on to it early on in our faith, but we lose track of it in the daily practice of our life. And that is this. We live our lives in God's grace or under God's judgment. It's true of every living being from birth to death. We all face this. We either live in his grace or we live under his judgment. You know, there's a passage, a verse that you're real familiar with, John 3.16. And if, if you would, I know you already know it, many of you, but if you turn to it, I want to read just a little bit beyond it. It says this in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him, who believes in Jesus, is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment That the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light, and does not come to light for fear his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light, so that his deeds may be made manifested as having been wrought in God. We were born under sin and condemnation. It's what the scripture teaches us. 
You could argue that if you want. You could look at it from a, from a human perspective and say, this isn't fair, this isn't right. I'm a good person. Look at this innocent child who is there. And I, said, and I say, what do you mean we're born under God's judgment and condemnation? Well, the scripture teaches that we are born apart from God. And we find ourselves in a condition in which we stand under God's judgment and condemnation apart from him. And this is the meaning of God's mercy and God's grace. God being just and us being unholy extended himself in grace and mercy and offered his son Jesus to take the judgment in our place. That's grace And that's mercy. When you begin to think that God has deserted you, when all of life goes against you, remember to what extent God went to bring you into relationship with himself. He offered of his very self, he offered his son Jesus. Jesus willingly went to the cross. Some of you remember the, the stories we look at at Easter time and Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's praying to the Father and says, Father, I don't want to go through tomorrow. I don't want to go to the cross. May this cup pass from me. I don't want to drink the bitterness of the next day. But he said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And he went and offered himself as a sacrifice for you and me. That's the extent of God's pursuit of you and me. His love for us. Can I ever doubt that he's in pursuit of me, that he's with me, that he's supportive, and he's there in the midst of everything I'm doing and thinking and living in any given day? That's his grace. I'm so limited in my human body, my brain. I know you know that's limited, but you know, I just, I come down and I'm going, Lord, help me. Help me to see what you see. Help me to live my life in relationship with you that I can know the joy and peace that you speak of in your book. Paul brings meaning to what it means to be redeemed and forgiven in Ephesians chapter 2. You might want to hang around Ephesians. We're going to keep coming back to it. But in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, it says this, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead in your trespasses and sins. Separated from him. That's how we came into this world. That's how we live in this world until we see, acknowledge what Jesus did for us on the cross. He took our sentence. He did for us what we deserved. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, speaking of Satan, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgression, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. 
and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. You didn't earn it. It is the gift of God. Not as a work of a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. God is righteous and just. And it's also true that he is merciful, compassionate, and gracious. And his justice remains unchanged. So we as an unholy people, how can we approach him? The simple gospel is this. God gave to Moses uh, two tablets, stone tablets, in which God chiseled ten commandments. And he said, this is my standard of rightness. It's recorded in Exodus 20. It's in other places as well in, the Old, in Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. But there in Exodus 20, you find the Ten Commandments. Most of you have heard them at one time or another. The first four relate to, talk to us about how we relate to God. We'll have no other gods before him. We don't take the Lord's name in vain. We don't create images of him. And we regard a day holy before him. And then the other six talk about our relationships with one another, to honor our father and mother. Yeah. Not to kill, not to lie, not to steal, not to be envious. You know the rules. Those aren't just a set of rules for us to keep. In Galatians, we read in chapter 3 that the law was given to us as a school teacher to lead us to faith in Christ. The law was given to us to show us God's standard of righteousness and you and I are not able to keep it without God. Apart from God, we can't keep that law. He gave us that law to show us how desperate we need his forgiveness, his mercy, and his grace. In James chapter 2, verse 10, our guilt is laid out on the table. It says, uh, you know the law. Uh, thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. But if you do either one, you're guilty of the whole law. That's what it says in James 2.10. So if, I, if I've lied, I am guilty of the whole law. That's God's standard of righteousness. So I stand guilty before him. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, in chapter 3, verse 23, said, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, the standard of God. And so we find ourselves in this condition under God's judgment, the law being our standard. And the penalty for violation of that law, we find in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, is that for the wages of sin is death. That's why Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, we were all dead in our trespasses and sins. We're dead, un unable to relate to God, be responsive to God, dead in our sins, apart from faith that God grants us the ability to have when our heart is bent toward him. 
We come and we say, God, help me. I'm desperate. I know I offend you. I know I've, I've been rebellious against you. I know I've neglected you. I've not given you any rightful place in my life. And God, for all this, I'm deeply sorry. And I know that I deserve your judgment. But I heard in your book, I read it in your book, that you want a relationship with me now and for eternity. And that you offered me this relationship with you through faith in what Jesus did for me on the cross. You want me to believe, Lord, that Jesus died on the cross taking my place. He died for me. God, with whatever faith I have, I come, I come today and I yield to you. I want to thank Jesus. I want to thank you for going to the cross for me. I want to thank you, God, for loving me so much. See, that's receiving God's grace, receiving his mercy, and then living in it every day. Not to lose track of the fact that all I have in God is a gift from him. It's not based on how I perform today. It's not how much I serve at the church. It's not how many people I tell about God. It's not how many things I've done out of duty. But it's just out of the natural flow of my life and gratitude that says, God, I know what I deserve and I know what you've given me. I thank you for your grace and your mercy to me today and in this moment. That's living in God's grace. Well, the back half of uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. It's a free gift. Out of mercy, God satisfied his justice by paying our penalty. Jesus died in our place. It was his death. He died in our place. Peter, in his first letter, said in two places, 1 Peter 2, verse 24, that Jesus bore our sins in his body on the cross. Jesus bore our sins in his body on the cross. Chapter 3, verse 18, he says, Jesus died once for all, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. He did that once. And most of you here this morning, uh, I know most of you, I don't know all of you, but I know most of you, and I know that you have come, most of you have come to a place where you said, I need what Jesus did for me in the cross, and you responded in faith. And all I'm learning in the book that I'm trying to communicate this morning is what he did for you in that moment when you said, Lord, I believe. Thank you for your forgiveness. He wants us to live in that every day and every moment. See, there's no room for pride. There's no room for chalking up points with God. Because everything we have is by His grace and His mercy. It's a gift. The promise of our salvation, our relationship. When I'm done breathing, I'm going to be in his presence without the encumberments of this flesh. That's a scary thing for me, but I like the idea on the other side. 
But in the meantime, I don't want to just be looking forward to something that's out there and waller through the mud here. I want to live this life now in the moment of the fact I now possess eternal life. Right now. And I now live in the presence of God. And I right now live and experience and overcome and lavished with His grace. Just open my eyes, God, so I can see it and live it out. Well, this is grace. Now we get on the fast track. How do I then understand this grace in the daily course of my life? God's grace in our lives. One, remember this, that he's our provider. Trust in his gracious care and provision. Philippians 4.19, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. Promise, my God shall supply all your need. Jesus, in his uh, sermon in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Seek me first in my kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. And the things he was talking about was shelter, clothing, food, the necessities of your life. Seek me first, and I'm your provider. A verse we used in our Growing with Grace campaign to to, uh, just help focus our attention on how do we find the funds in order to build what we've built out here. And the the theme verse for us was 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you. And that statement is in the context of giving, of being generous toward God with what he's given to us. And he refers to it as grace. His provision is grace to us. God is in control. Can I keep that in my mind? Can I trust him for his goodness as he exercises his control in my life? I keep coming back to Romans 8.28. I'm giving you core verses of my life right now. Uh, Romans 8.28. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him in my paraphrase, willing to submit and yield to his plan, called according to his purpose. God's working a good thing. Can I trust him for his goodness and the work that he's doing? He's working out a good thing. That's his grace constantly going on in my life. And to remember that work that he's doing, I see that in the context of Ephesians 3, verse 20. For God is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think and all according to his power that works within us. God's able to do whatever it is I'm facing. He's able to do it. And I could add to that a verse I didn't have down here. Philippians 4, 4.13. For I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Here's another expression of his grace. God is making all things new. I'm, I'm, I'm not what I'm always going to be. Uh, I'm in process in God's mind. And you are in process in God's mind. Romans 8, 29. For God determined in the beginning, knowing who was going to come to him, having foreknown, he predestined you 
to be conformed to the image of his son. God committed himself in the beginning of time that you and me, having come to faith in Christ, he is going to conform in us the likeness of his son. That's cool. Then I go to Philippians uh, chapter 1, verse 6. And he says to the Philippians, and I'm confident of this very thing, Paul was saying, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will continue that work until the day of Jesus Christ, until he comes. That's grace. You know, what do we do with each other? Oh, gee, they did it again. Well, what else could I expect? That's the way they are. You know, we write each other off so quickly and just say, you know, we, we put each other in, in boxes and we say, well, that's how they behave and that's what they're going to do. And so then we relate to them based on that box we give them. God doesn't do that with us. He set up an image. Here's Jesus and that's where we're going. And you may be anywhere along the line in the process and moving toward that, but God has committed himself to moving us in that direction. Can I live in that grace? Can I understand that when I do something really stupid, or maybe that was the wrong word to use, do something thoughtless? <laughs> Can I understand in that context that God hasn't deserted me? He's not bailing on me. He's at work in my life. You see, that's God's grace and living in that grace for myself. He's my provider. He's in control. He's making all things new. He is always present. Acknowledge him. Welcome him. Enjoy him. We're coming up on Christmas, and I love the one thought that just keeps passing through my mind all the time at Christmas. We sing the song, Emmanuel. Emmanuel, I'd sing it out right now, but that would really gross you out. Matthew 123, where it's stated there, and his name, and we will call him Emmanuel, which is interpreted God with us. Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you or forsake you, God says. Look at the verses behind me here. God is the source of all our hope. This is Jeremiah gone through the most difficult times of his life, uh, uh, beaten, mocked, thrown in a well to die. And he comes through all of this stuff, and he's, he's lost all hope. And he says, I would have lost hope had I not remembered. And this is what he said. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. He had to remember this to turn his head and his mind, his heart, away from the circumstances of his life. But in doing so, he found hope. And it's interesting how similar that is. This was written in 600 B.C. 400 years before, last Sunday, we read this several times over. The source of our hope. The Lord is good. His loving kindness is is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. Psalm 100, verse 5. That was written in 1000 B.C. by David. Learn something from this. Jeremiah, in the midst of his despair, remembered the word of God from 400 years before and quoted it and claimed it for himself and found hope. Know the book. Be in the book. Live in it. Live in the promises. Claim those promises. 
That's what brought hope to Jeremiah. And let's look at one other thing that's here. We say that uh, uh, God's invitation to us, let us therefore draw near with confidence, confidence, boldness, to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. It's an invitation that God's given to each one of us to be responsive to him. And he says to us in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, that his grace is sufficient for us. In spite of all the weakness that we may identify in ourselves or more likely others identify in us, he is made strong in our weakness and is strong in our behalf. His grace is sufficient. Well, having experienced God's grace, God calls on us to extend this grace to each other. And don't forget something. All of us do hurtful, thoughtless things to each other. Now, Horton, we're the one that's the offended party. We're always right and they're always wrong. You, under, you understand that. But don't lose track of the fact that we all are guilty. We all are wrapped up in ourselves and want everything our way and, and expect people to honor and respect us and treat us like royalty. You know, we all have these expectations of ourselves and we always set ourselves up for disappointment. Live in God's grace. You've got nothing to claim except his gift. And remember that he's at work in your life, forming and shaping the likeness of Christ, and he's doing the same thing in your brothers and sisters in faith. And those who are outside of faith, how can you expect anything different out of them for they don't know Christ yet? And think about your response to the offense that you've taken from an unbeliever. How are you going to respond? You're going to respond in your flesh, in your pride, or you're going to respond as God has to you, out of mercy and grace extended himself to you, even in the face of your rebellion. But God proved his love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Can I relate to my brothers and sisters that way? Well, Ephesians. Chapter 5, verse 1, says that we are to model God's love. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice as a fragrant aroma. Imitate God. Model after him. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter sets for us a standard, a model of what it is to love as God loves. I encourage you to look at that. John chapter 13, Jesus in that last night with his disciples said to them, a new commandment I give to you, though not new. <laughs> love one another. Love one another. And by this, Everyone around will know that you're mine. Everyone will know that you belong to me, Jesus said. Love.
be encouraging to one another in our relationships because of God's grace. Going back up to uh, chapter 4 in Ephesians, I'm looking at uh, uh, verse 29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification. Now, edification, edifice, building, build up. Okay? Such a word as is good for building up somebody else. According to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Be an encourager. Having experienced God's grace, extend God's grace. Be forgiving. Look at verse 32, there in chapter 4 of Ephesians. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Forgive others on the same kind of pattern and model that's been given to you by God's forgiveness. Forgive. Matthew chapter 18 tells a story of a man, a servant, who somehow in the world accumulated a debt to his master of uh, millions of dollars. And the master said, uh, uh, you owe me, pay up. And the man said, I can't. And so the master uh, ordered him to be put into prison and to work it off all the rest of his life. And the man pled for uh, uh, mercy. And the master was merciful to him and forgave his debt. That servant who had been forgiven went out and somebody owed him $10. And uh, the servant went to the man and said, you owe me $10, pay up. And the man said, I I, I can't do that now. Please be merciful to me. And the servant who had been forgiven punished the man, put him into prison. And when the master heard how he had the servant had treated a fellow servant. He said, you're not anything a part of me, and threw him into prison. And then Jesus made the statement, he says, those who cannot forgive will not be forgiven. I said, i got to live in God's grace, and i got to live in his mercy in all the, all the situations of my life. Do what God does. Imitate his love for you. And in his grace, judge not. Jesus said in Matthew 7, judge not lest you be judged. By the standard by which you judge none other, you also shall be be judged. So be careful how you form an opinion about somebody else and place judgment on them. Romans 14 tells us not to judge another, for we all account to God, not to each other. We ultimately give, give account to God for our behavior. So don't take God's posture in your judgment of people around you. That's his role. And remember to regard others as more important than yourself. There in Philippians 2. Don't think only on your own things, but also on the things of others. Regard others as more important than yourself. 
And that statement precedes the picture that was given of Jesus, although he was equal with God, didn't hang on to that privileged position. But he emptied himself, came to earth, took on the form of a human being, lived out his life in obedience, even to the death on the cross for you and me. And he calls us to that kind of life and relationship with one another. This is God's grace. I'd ask you to pray with me. Father, I want to thank you. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your spirit who's been speaking to each one of us today. I thank you for your, the way you've been speaking to me. I thank you, Father, that you call us each to yourself. I thank you that you've committed yourself to conform in us the likeness of Christ. I thank you for your grace and your mercy towards us. And help us, Father, to extend that grace and mercy to the people around us in the course of our days. And help us to live in that grace and mercy regardless of what the circumstances of our life may bring. That we may find our joy and our peace in knowing that we're yours and you've done so much to embrace us and call us to yourself. We thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus who loved us so much that he offered his life on the cross. And we come this morning, Lord, to celebrate that. We thank you in Jesus.